Well, hello there, and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, number three or number four, something like that in the communication skills podcast bestseller list. And welcome you today. We have a special guest named Donna Griffith. Her specialty is pitching, like for investors. She helps people that have these ideas for startups ask for money. What we all hate to do, she's going to tell us how to craft that story. It's really We're really going to talk about storytelling. I know that's a big topic. A lot of you want to get better at telling your story or telling things in a story fashion that's obviously and research-backed. And before I bring her on, I want to tell you something that because this podcast has become such uh, so popular, that my role has changed. And even though I'm the one interviewing and adding my witty and pithy comments here and there, I'm really, though, more of a bouncer. Because let me tell you, in listening, those of you good-looking people listening, there's so many people that want to get on this show now. It's like this could be a full-time job, except it doesn't pay, which always brings me to the topic. Why is this free? But it continues to be for now and no advertisers yet. I haven't bitten that bullet yet, but I am letting Donna talk to you because I think she has value to offer you about getting that storytelling skill down. So that's all I will say in, in this introduction. Don't forget, this is brought to you by the Practical Guide to Effective Communication. Get recognized for the value you already contribute. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. It's your necessary guidebook to nailing the message, whether it's a you know it's a difficult situation, uh, having to give feedback you don't like, or networking. Now that we're doing that again or giving a presentation. There's a whole chapter that gives you everything you need to know to take your presentation from good to great. So get go on and get that book if you haven't yet. And without further ado, I will bring to you Donna Griffith. So Donna, we really appreciate you tuning in from California and into the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. And tell us a little bit about your journey. How does one like become this massive, massively popular corporate storyteller, data distiller, like how does that happen? So it's funny because it's not like, I mean, now looking at the career paths that, that millennials and Gen Z's are taking back when I was a kid, none of, a lot of those things didn't exist, you know, podcasters and bloggers and influencers. So when I was a kid, it's not like, I'm like, oh, I want to be a storyteller. I did not know that that's what I wanted to be. I always was an actress. But something in me knew, like, I didn't want to be waiting tables at the age of 30, with all due respect to friends of mine in New York that that did waiting for the big break, as much as I loved acting. So I had to find something else that was as satisfying to me. Um, When I was 16, can't believe still that it was that young, I heard about drama therapy which was like, oh my gosh, somebody put together the two things I love most people and and acting. So I did everything I could. It's a master's program at NYU. I did everything I could to, you know, meet those requirements, got accepted, wrote my last undergrad paper and flew off to New York, lived there for three years. It was, I'm sorry, I lived there for six years. I was in the program for three years. It was Mm -hmm. amazing. 9-11 happened while I was there. Oh, wow. Makes you think a lot of, uh, about life. 
And when I saw the career opportunities for a drama therapist, I'm like, wow, that's like a starving artist, basically. I'm like, I didn't give up up a career in acting for that. I'm like, okay, there's got to be something else. And like, I'm always looking for that something Mm -hmm. else that you can, that extra thing you can do for yourself, for your career, for your clients. And I had a lecturer that talked about a friend of hers that traveled the globe, giving motivational speeches and training mm-hmm. in different settings. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. <laughs> like, okay, yes. that, that resigned me up. Just so happened NYU had a continuing uh, post-master's program in training and organizational development. Signed oh, up for that. Sent my first resume to a place in Craigslist that was looking for corporate trainers in presentation skills and business writing skills. I was hired by a wonderful company called Mm -hmm. Boyer Communications Group. The second part of my interview was they had to see me on stage and I just happened to be in an off-Broadway show at the time. Oh, wow. And hired me the next day and I got to travel the world working with Fortune 500 companies all over, working with uh, C-level and sales and marketing and tech departments teaching them how to create and deliver powerful messages that drove to business results. Good. That's what we're all about. Yeah. And I was, that was my focus Mm -hmm. up until 2008. Oh, yeah. And another time like that. So while enterprise was kind of Mm -hmm. struggling, I shifted my focus over to startups and innovation and entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. everything that was like feeding that and working on sales pitches, on investor pitches, on everything that were very high stakes, high value. Messages. Right, right. So today we're back to a nice blend of working with corporate, which mm-hmm. is always fun, working with startups, which is always exciting. And I get to, somebody once called me the polisher of diamonds. Oh, that's a nice title. Of diamond there. shine. Yes, that is so cool. And uh, I think that if you're able to help someone like ask for money, which is like for, especially for people who are more introverted, that is like the worst thing. Like just take me to the dentist. Don't make me ask for money. Um, Dentist asking people for money. Yeah. But it's an acquired taste. I think if you don't have that taste, you can get where you're like, I don't care. Just, you know, this make the case. So tell me, so, so I do think there's just such a a market, shall we say, in the enterprise business corporate world to get that startup juice and that hunger and that creativity. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great uh, synergy you've got there to use that beloved corporate word uh, b- between the startup and the enterprise world. So good for you for that. So why are so many, like the vast majority of business presentations so bad and boring? <laughs> a question I ask myself every time I go and have my my eyes bleeding looking at another 80-slide <laughs> deck with eight-point font and 50 bullet points. It's just like it's death. It's seriously, <laughs> I call it uh, suicide. Suicide. I'm writing that down. Suicide. Uh, now, why do people do that? Mm -hmm. Great question. And here's the answer because they're afraid that they'll miss something or that their audience will miss something. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So we throw everything possible on the slide. And then what happens? We stand there reading it off, looking like we don't really know what we're talking about. And guess what? We've created that same reality because when you act out of fear, you Mm -hmm. create the reality that you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so true. Yeah, because they need to edit out. And also, I think maybe you had the same experience that they 
let's say you're a director presenting to a bunch of vice presidents, like you want to give them all the options instead of saying, I, I looked at all the options and this is what we should Here's do. my recommendation. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you do grant it, have to give the other options. You can't mm-hmm. just sell your own. But people, I think time is our most precious commodity. Mm-hmm. And people truly appreciate when you can bring something succinct and kind of hand it to them when you've done the distilling of it. Mm-hmm. I love like articles that you read that have like the, the top three TLDR yes. in it. Yes. So you kind of get it and then you can decide whether you want to keep right, reading. right, right. That's the way we need to be writing and we need to be presenting in corporates as well. Mm-hmm. Giving people the highlights, giving people what need, they need to know. If they want to know more and they want to know more data and they want to know more bits and bytes and technology, they'll ask. Right, right, you right, right. In the high level and that my structure for a presentation or a pitch or a sales or whatever it is that you're doing is built on the foundation of answering your audience's questions. It's about right. them. It's not about what I want to sell. It's about what they need to hear. Right. That is so true. So Donna, I was going to, I had this question about the, the making the recommendation Well, what is it, do you use the concept of a summary slide that has the main point and then backup slides for questions? Like, what do you think is a good structure for somebody, say, in IT or finance or supply chain? They just feel like they they have just so many numbers. So in a workshop that I give at corporates called uh, Sticking to My Story, which is the name of my upcoming book as well, I have a very clear structure mm-hmm. of a technical presentation, of a sales presentation, of a marketing presentation, of a finance presentation, and they're all very similar. Mm-hmm. And what I've done is over the years, I've like collected all the lists of questions that mm-hmm. audience members want to hear because it's pretty much, believe it or not, the same from organization to organization. And then chunking it into like, I call it four acts of a play, because that's really storytelling is very much about very ancient writing. <laughs> I mean, we're going back oh, to wow. the Iliad. Well, let's do it. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. And it works because it plays on how our brain is structured. We think in stories. From the time kids communicate, they learn to communicate very young children through the stories we mm-hmm, tell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's why reading to a kid is so important because they're developing those synapses and neurons firing off that help them communicate with the world. So right. I call it four acts of a play. Okay. And it's usually like the problem or the need mm-hmm. and the solution that you're proposing. Now, people are probably listening and saying, oh, God, not that again. Problem, solution. Guys, listen, <laughs> hearing it, I did not invent this. I was not around when Homer was right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, but I'm adopting that because it still works. And that's the way stories are conveyed. So when you start with this need, and then you can get clever how you tell that need story. It can be based on something your team is going through, you're going through, the, the market's going through, mm-hmm. uh, a, cl- a customer is going through. And you tell this story that captivates and illustrates the problem. Oh, then you've got them. And that's making them think and stories connect. So it's like right. the whole framework is storytelling. And then you're telling stories within the stories, which is really cool because mm-hmm. you're capturing them. Then once they're captive audience they're like okay get that there's a problem now what Mm -hmm. and then you go on to say okay here's my proposal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you talk about now you can also be clever and you can bring three possible options leave yours for Mm -hmm. last 
if you think okay. a lot of resistance because then you've shown them other things and you kind of do the pros and cons and they kind of see that, well, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. That's not going to, oh, this looks promising. Or you just bring your recommendation. And usually like in tech presentations, we want to go straight for the solution. Mm-hmm. Correct. How right. It, what is it like? Why is it different? What will it look like? Kind of try to demo it. Try to try to give a user story of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. So the third act is more of the business, the numbers, why it'll work, why it's different, how it measures up with the competition, what will we need, what resources. And then finally, the fourth act is the moving forward. It's the after the hero's journey, what will life be like? What will be the next steps? What will, what will we need from the teams involved? And by doing it in that structure, you're partnering with your listeners. You're Mm -hmm. truly keying into what matters to them, both in their minds, their hearts, and their guts. It's got to hit all three. And that's what storytelling does, because they don't always know what's irking them. Right. Your job is to bring it out and to help them find words for it. Well, but what if I'm an engineer and I say, (laughs) Donna emotions that we don't have any of those in my department and in my work what would you, you say? prick us shall we not bleed i i've seen plenty of engineers they, they do have emotions they like to hide it under layers of one zeros. so yes you need to know your audience if it's made up sheerly of engineers that's fine you need to stick much more to the facts if it's a blend you have to be able to tell it in a way that everyone gets it mm-hmm. so you want to be much more factual and tactual but usually i work with engineers and help them translate their very succinct technical talk to lay people right from their department and that's where it gets fun because it's like trying to you know i, I used to love i'd go in and give workshops at companies like intel and i you know get these groups of hardware engineers and i tell them we're here to transform you into salespeople. Right, right. That I would get were just priceless. So I was <laughs> not joking, but at the end of the workshop, they'd come and they'd be like, you know what? I do realize I, I, I am a salesperson because a lot of organizations use their tech departments to be their evangelists because they're coming from that, but they have to learn how to talk. Here are people that have been buried in a lab creating and coding and, mm-hmm. and, and finding. Now they have to go out and talk to the world. Right. That's so what why it, we'll have work for a long time. <laughs> yes. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Absolutely. And yeah, I, that's what I think uh, for our, our engineers in the audience. I mean, you are, tra- they are trained, you are all trained to solve problems, dive deep into the data and to think analytically, which is great. And, and this uh, is the other part is a separate skill set, though. It's like how to make it interesting. So what do you think? What makes a good evangelist in a tech company or or even in any company? Like, how do you make an accountant, like in a good evangelist for mm-hmm. work in finance? So first of all, just like with tech numbers, you need to give them meaning. Okay. How do you behind the numbers or behind mm-hmm. the tech? That's when it gets interesting to the other side. But I'll go back to your previous question. You have to start with the problem, the need. Okay. Um, Show empathy that you understand the other side has a need. They have a life. They're not just thinking 24 seven about you and your solution. They have other things going on in their life. So what is the biggest pain in their life? What is keeping them awake at night? What can you solve and take away? So when you start off sharing that story, sharing that understanding, showing that it's not just them, it's others like them and you can truly help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
when it becomes meaningful. And then when you talk with passion and you explain the essence of it, the meaning of it, what it can really do to help them, mm-hmm. then you. Right, right, right. It's about the audience. It's not about you. <laughs> exactly. That's one of my punchlines in, in the workshop. It's not about you. It's about them. And that I think is one of the most important things that we have to remember in life, in mm-hmm. business, at work, with customers, with interacting with people in general. Right. Henry, good- Ford, Henry Ford once said that the secret to success is being able to see someone else's point of view and yours at the same time. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Yeah. If we can move ourselves 180 degrees and sit for a moment in the chair of our audience while we're planning our message and think, okay, if I were here and I didn't know what I know, what would I want to know? What would I want to ask? What's meaningful to me? What's important to me? And then start building your messages around those top of mind questions and those concerns. I love that. Yes. Meaningful to them. They're like, oh my God, this person has climbed inside my head and understands me. How cool is this? I want to listen. I want to le- I want to grab every word. Right. And then if you've sat in a presentation with this, you know, this usually you're presenting to audiences that you've presented before or they've spoken, you know something about them usually. So really think beforehand, if I were, if I were Donna, what would I ask? But if I were, you know, Mrs. Big Shot or Mr. Intimidating Person, what would I ask and prepare accordingly? And what would be helpful and really presenting it that way? Absolutely. And it's just thinking from their perspective. It's putting ourselves in in there. And that's the essence of, of doing business. Right. So what is the difference? Like if somebody is like a pretty good presenter, you know, solid, gets to the point, doesn't talk all day, but they want to get like, they say, I want to up level. I want to get better. I want to get ready to become an executive leader, a C-suite. Like, where do you think is the difference between, you know, middle management communication presentations and senior Mm. management? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. So over the years, I've worked with a lot of different companies and I kind of, I'm sure that this is very generalizing, but I've seen two main different types of managers. Those that got there because it was time to promote them. And it was kind of like they'd done the time, Mm -hmm. but they have absolutely zero people skills and motivating skills. And then those that were born to lead, Mm -hmm. born managers that brought out the best in in their team. And you could see, especially in tough times, who was who, because the teams with the managers that were the born managers were with them through thick and thin, listen, went, because they felt part of a team while the others, it was just chaos in their teams. And where's the big difference? Again, I'm going to keep pounding this in until it's Mm -hmm. super clear. It's listen to the other side and what they're really saying now. You already know this. You're a good presenter. You get to the point you're succinct. Great. You've got your content down. Now it's time to up your game in terms of your delivery. Not everybody is born an amazing speaker. Not everybody is Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama. So Steve Jobs, for example, when he started off, he wasn't like this incredible orator. Mm -hmm. See the difference when, you know, Apple launched its first computer and when he was doing the product launch of the podcast of the iPod. Right, right, right. Here's the difference. difference. He practiced, he was relentless. There's a book called Becoming Steve Jobs, where they talk about how many times he would rehearse each and every presentation. 
I've seen good presenters become great presenters. I've seen mediocre presenters become good presenters. And I've seen horrible presenters become okay presenters. And like, again, you can move that up the food chain. It's all about the practice, the finesse, getting the feedback, working with someone that can point out to you where you're missing in terms of content, in terms of audience engagement, which is huge. Audience engagement. Wow. Make eye contact. Listen. Share. Like, we're back in rooms. We're back face to face. Oh, joy. This is great. So now you have people. So take a moment. Connect with someone. Share a moment. Mm -hmm. Get a little nod or a little smile from them. Great. Now move on to somebody else. So everybody feels that a presentation becomes conversation. They feel that a conversation with them. Right, right. And that's what it should be. Not a tsunami and facts. Yes. Yes. You're merely having a conversation with a group of individuals. Mm-hmm. It's a group, right. but it's people. And do you believe in asking the audience questions in order to provoke engagement or or wait till the end? Do you have any? Yes, I do. You just have to do it right. All this. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever done a, it, it feels a little bit hokey. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, people, unless it's super mean, but as I go through a presentation, one way is just to stop after a while and say, okay, any questions about this, any concerns, anything you want to, you want to evoke, say any questions is kind of general. So does anybody have a specific question about the problem and how you write right. story? So you narrow down the question, make it very specific. So they have something to work with. You ask, for example, so what have you done that's worked with storytelling? Or what have you seen? What was the most enrapturing story that you've seen someone use in a presentation? And that kind of starts to evoke responses. So definitely leave room for audience engagement. You want that because that becomes the exchange. That becomes right. And it gives you data to like gear the rest of your message, right? Yes, exactly. And then you can move along with them. You don't have to stick to your agenda. Obviously, you want to get through your presentation. Right. But also know that this is, if you're presenting to the company or to the team, there might be a point where you just want to close your slide and be in conversation with them. Right, exactly. Fine. And if that does happen, guys, gals, everyone listening, then that is good. <laughs> that means you have transcended your pre- your prepared message and you are truly having a conversation with your audience. So Absolutely. It Absolutely. doesn't it doesn't happen every day, but when that happens, consider it like graduation to and, a next level. You may and you don't want to stymie these messages, these questions. No. You don't want to shut them down because then they'll disengage and they'll move to their phones or their computers or whatever. And, and yeah, just exactly. Start thinking about what's for dinner tonight? Where are we going? What's for dinner? Did I pick up the dry cleaning? Who's getting the kids to school? You know, all that all good, that good stuff. Things that if that's more interesting to them, yeah. yeah you want to rethink what you're doing. Right. We need to revisit your content at the very least. So yeah. Donna, what about, because I know something that really makes a lot of people I talk to nervous is the, uh, the Q&A at the end, especially oh. to a senior audience, especially oh. when they don't have the full and complete answer, but they, they you should know something, you know, but they don't have the full answer. What is your recommended strategy to that? I am so glad you brought that up because that is something that I see again happening a lot. You're like, you know, I, I guess you're saying there are a lot of presentations, Laura. So here's the thing. People will usually practice their presentation, hopefully at least once. And by the way, practice doesn't just mean reading through it with your eyes. You have no. to one time 
talk it through. Even if it's in front of your desk, I would recommend recording yourself on your webcam or if you have like external or your phone and then watching it back. Don't do it in front of a mirror. Don't do it in front of selfie mode because it's very Mm -hmm, self-conscious. Okay. But hopefully you've practiced it a few times. You've gone through it a few times. This is not the first time you're presenting it. Great. Then come the questions. Hand on your heart, people. How many of you have prepared for your Q&A? I have a feeling we might have a couple of hands going up, but usually people <laughs> are prepared because they're like, well, how can I know what they're going to ask? Ah, uh, yes. Tell uh, us. How yes. can you know? I'll let you in on a little secret. People are not particularly creative. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're just not. So yeah, that's where it can get really good for us because we can look at questions we've been asked before. We can look at questions that we dread being asked, Right. questions that we hope will be asked, questions that we hope we won't be asked. Make a list. Right. All the questions that you think you might be asked. Risk. What are, you can send an email out. Hey, everyone, at, at next week's product uh, update, what are some of the key questions you'd like answered? Bring them yeah, up. Now, that's- if you're building your presentation around their questions to begin with, hopefully you have answered a lot of their questions already and you've built the trust and made them feel heard and seen. However, there are going to be other questions. So make a list. I love that. Getting the intel before you even Lots start putting Absolutely. What, if you're going yeah. to talk to a potential client. Talk to their admin ahead of time. Talk to their team. Say before the meeting, I really want to be, make this good for you. What are like the top three things that I could ask that would be helpful that you could ask that I could answer that would be helpful to you? So then you take a whole list of the questions and you write answers. Okay. Saying those answers as well. Oh my so, gosh, that is so so good. So guys, yeah, everybody listening. I know what's on your mind. You're saying to yourself, how can this be free? Because it's so good. And I want to, before we go on with Dawn, I'm going to recap some of her points for you about preparing for the, your next presentation. I is Think of it like the play, the, the four acts of the play. What is the problem? What is the solution? Why will it work? Why is it so good? What are the next steps? Uh, and, and, and I really like... Um, you know, thinking about your audience, what do they need from you? What is their point of view? What is your point of view? Where do they converge? That should give you the meaning behind the data that you're telling because the data does not speak for itself. doesn't. And they don't have the proficiency that you have as somebody who lives this product, this technology, this realm day in and day out. Right. And I love seeing, you know, like finance people and tech people that are in love with what they do. That's great. I'm glad I don't have to deal with numbers. I have a great bookkeeper and a great CPA because <laughs> I absolutely abhor it. However, you need to make sure that you're speaking to the people that know less about it. Right. <laughs> you're talking to their level of understanding. Exactly. And then you've got this great secret. What would it be like? An unfair advantage in your yes. next presentation would be to email or text or somehow reach out to some key members of your audience or maybe everybody and say, I'm going to be talking to you about X. I'm going to lay it on you. What, you know, anything in particular you want me to cover, let me know. And then I'll mm-hmm. use that and just really put yourself in the shoes of the other person and 
I mean, the clock, I really love what you said about like the questions are not, it's not like they're going to spend 20 minutes trying to think of a good question. They're going to ask like the most obvious who, what, when, where, why, what's in it for me kind of what's thing. in it for me. What about the, and, and the risk, you know, but the risk are not like secret risk. And know? every time you get a new question, add it to your list oh, of okay. things. So have a running list, have it on like a Google Sheets that is shared with your team and people can add answers, people can add questions. And that way everyone is part of this question. Answer. I love that. So you have your own like portfolio of questions. Absolutely. And let's say you're a less technical role, but you need to be able to answer technical questions. Get your tech people on your team to put some answers in, help to simplify it in a way that you can answer and say, you know, I'm not the tech leader. However, I can tell you that because you need to be able to answer these questions. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'd love you can't that. just say, oh, I'll send you to my tech department and you can talk about it. You need to be able to, to show those things. So I think that, that, that we could summarize, like if you want to get better at presentations, because I know everybody listening to this does them on a regular basis. They're clearly competent, but they want to be like excellent. It's really a matter of thinking about your audience, putting yourself in their shoes and like what can make this more interesting, more compelling. What do you have to say about slides? Do you prepare the content first and then the slides? They should actually go hand in hand. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing about slides. Slides are a reflection of you and of your product. Mm -hmm. Okay. They have to look, you can't have a billion dollar product and a buck 50 slides. You just can't. Okay. It, it creates a dissonance for, for your listeners. So if you have these slides that look like, you know, the typical PowerPoint, with the little clip arty things, just yes. don't. There's so <laughs> many tools that we have nowadays. So if you have internal resources of graphics and of templates, utilize those. But you can also use things like Canva and pitch.com and, and all these beautiful AI, all these places that you can make your slides look better today. You know, we have all these generative AI things, mid-journey that help you find beautiful images and it's worth upping the level. So if you don't have a designer to design the deck, at least, you know, do a better job of it, use tools. I am not a designer. So I yeah, me neither. Like, myself, I have to use tools that'll make mm -hmm. it look better. Mm -hmm. Now, again, what's important with the slides is that your slides are supposed to help you tell the story. They are not a crutch to lean on. Like we said, we don't throw all our data there. They are not leading the starring the show. You are the star of the show. So they're meant to support you. They're like the, the chorus in the background. Mm -hmm. You're okay. Dancing <laughs> along and giving you harmony and it's so nice. And we're all working together. You're not, you don't want to be competing with your slides. So my main thought is one big idea per slide. Oh yeah. I love That's that. my rule of thumb. One big idea. I'd rather you have more slides with less on them than mm -hmm. fewer slides with more on them that end up looking like a DMV. Uh, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Which is what people do. And Guy Kawasaki is that, you know, uh, if you can't explain your business in 10 slides, you don't know your business. And I, I don't agree with that because what people have done with that is like, oh, 10 slides, great. I'll just squeeze everything under 10 slides. And be <laughs> Yeah. So I don't think that's what Guy meant. I yeah, think he don't meant, think you know, be able to explain it succinctly. So you want to be able to have a slide with just enough on it mm -hmm. that you remember what you wanted to say and they can track what you're going to say. Few bullets, 
visuals are powerful. They can tell the story along with you. It works on a different part of our brain. Oh, okay. I did not know that. The visual, the auditory, the kinesthetic. Mm -hmm. When we read Mm -hmm. the same part of our brain that we use when we listen is activated. Oh, yes. So we're not just looking at the words where we have a decoder for language. Mm -hmm. You know, we have English. I'm sure there's other people with other languages in the room, but if we're reading using our auditory components and listening using the auditory component, uh uh-oh, busy something's going to go and guess what it's going to be. You're conditioned from the time we were in school to read what's on the blackboard or the whiteboard Mm -hmm. or the screen. Yeah, and we're going to read and not listen to you. And isn't that a shame? You could have sent up a document and saved them all the time and being at the yeah. at the meeting. Exactly, exactly. I love this. All right, everybody. So you're going to take this goodness from Donna, and it's going to be a career catalyst because that's what wherever you are in the organization, people are looking to see if you're ready or getting ready for the next level. They're already looking at you. You need to be looking at yourself that way. And I think the the way you present is like the biggest signal you can send to the world, beginning with your own self that, hey, I am ready. I can handle more. I'm ready for the next level. Would you agree? Do you think that's like? Absolutely. You did a great summary of that, right? Yes. (laughs) And that is why there are some people that make it really high. They may be fantastic. Maybe they uh, went with Donna to theater school. And they're really good at presentations and maybe not so good at actually doing the work, but they do great. I mean, it's just that skill that you have. Some people are great presenters and they have absolutely zero content. It's like eating something that's super delicious with absolutely zero nutritious values, but it's fun, but you end up like. Yeah, very sticky. Yeah, cotton candy and diabetes. Or you have like the super nutritious stuff that sits on the plate and makes it absolutely unappetizing to eat. I'm a foodie, so I love eating it and I love, you know, using it as metaphors. I do too. You have to have a good balance. You have to have a good balance of something that's delicious, nutritious with with high nutrient content, but that looks great and tastes great and makes it appetizing for people want to take on. So that's the balance of having great content that's succinct, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. hides its you know, it's not health food. Ew. Right. Right. But at the same time, you, it looks great. It's appetizing. It's something we want to take part in and that's your delivery of it. That's becoming a really great speaker. Love that. Okay. So we are almost out of time. I want to ask you some real quick, personal rapid fire questions. Okay. And then we are going to close it and tell, tell everybody where they can get more of Donna. So where did you go on your last vacation? Hawaii. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were just there over the holidays and we were in Kauai. Nice. I love Hawaii so much. The nature. It's amazing. Yes, it is beautiful. What is your favorite dessert? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's a tough one. I just love dessert. I'm a sucker for a good fruit pie with like oh. heart and, and the ice cream on top and all of like, so the, the, but I also love like salted caramel, anything that's got like a mix of two different textures, two different flavors. Give it to me. Awesome. What about your favorite store? My favorite store, Amazon. Thank you. If I don't <laughs> have to leave the house, but Trader Joe's, hands down. If oh, I have to somewhere. it is. I love, I love Trader Joe's. What, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, I'm such a Billy Joel Beatles sting kind of girl. I just, I adore them. They're the the classics. 
Uh, yes. but, well, it's funny as, as my nine-year-old calls it the oldie times. I'm uh, like, no, no, okay, no. How did that become no. oldies it's now? Classic. It's oh. classic, classic. Yeah. What kind of movies do you like? Well, my husband's really into like suspense and thrillers and post-apocalyptic things. So we have to try to find a happy medium. So I love like time travel and suspense and everything too, but I'm also a sucker for a good rom-com. I mean, oh. it's very something that makes me laugh out loud yes. over days. That, those are good. Well, how would you describe your personal style? Mm. <laughs> Pandemic chic? No, <laughs> I think we've all gotten very comfortable um, yes. past few years being in, in yoga pants and, and comfortable things. So I try to keep it comfortable, but at the same time, something that makes me feel great, something that makes me feel special. So it's, but it's got to be both. Just come right. Okay. Well, you know, a friend of mine, actually on this podcast, introduced me to the concept of dopamine dressing. And I thought that was a really, like, that makes you feel so good. It feels like a hit of dopamine. Were you afraid of anything as a child? Wow. Was I afraid of anything as a child? No, not really. I didn't have like any phobias or fears. And I think it's just more like a fear of, you know, not so much fear, but I was always really sad to say goodbye to people. Oh, you're Very a people hard person. Yeah. When guests left or people oh. moved away, that was like really tough for me. Oh, do you collect anything? <laughs> I collect stories. I oh, love, I'm, I'm a story good. junkie of people's stories. I just love it. And I love that I get to, to do that. But um, I don't have like a physical collection. My husband is a very, he's, he's been like a Marie Kondo before there was a Marie Kondo. <laughs> when he met me, he's like, you had all these little candles and old tchotchkes right. all the house. And he's helped me kind of clean that up. So you're so. now zen, very calm. Yes. 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 That is so awesome. Oh, Donna, this has been such delight and such practical, useful, helpful, high level, uh, unfair advantage tips you guys are getting here. And Donna has a book coming out uh, probably next week by the time you're here. Yes. It could yes. be the same week. So, Late Donna, week tell us about your book and where they can get more Donna. All right. So, it's called Sticking to My Story The Alchemy of Storytelling for Startups. However, it is not just for startups. It's for anyone that has to communicate in this world, <laughs> especially in business settings. It's it's just a collection of my tips, my recipes for creating winning messages. The forward is by Tim Draper, who's one of the you know original families that created Silicon Valley. And, wow. and yes, yeah, so it's very exciting. My first book, and you can find it on Amazon. And you can also go to my webpage, uh, DonnaGriffith.com, my website, DonnaGriffith.com, find the book page and you can get notified. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. And um, I can, so you can go to her website, you look her up on LinkedIn, but anyway, thank you so much. We really appreciate you thank coming. You and thank you everybody for listening. I'm expecting, but now the bar has been raised on you. I want your next presentation to just knock it out of the ballpark. Yes. Now, I'll we'll, be we'll be watching. We'll be watching. Secret. Watching you. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And and passing notes to say yes. what we, yes. to say what we think. Yes. All right. Catch everybody on the next episode. Bye bye.